Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome back to the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast, an iHeartRadio and Dan Patrick Podcast Network production. I'm Alan Nevins. And I'm Joey Santos. Today we're having the very first supermodel joining the conversation. The one and only Janice Dickens. I've been friends with Janice, can you believe it, for 20 years. And if these walls can talk... Well, Janice will talk for sure. You know yes, how she is. She, does. <laughs> she will tell you what she feels on the good side, on the bad side, who she likes, who she doesn't like. She's never been one to pull punches. No, she's an open book for sure. Well, let's grab a drink and dive in. Now, what is the drink you have today? I did not do a specialty cocktail today. because Well, because she's sober. She's been so great on that, on that journey for herself. And I didn't want to, I don't know, I just felt it wasn't fair to, to tempt her with even, even a mocktail would remind her of all the fruity cocktails of the past. I thought I'd just let it be. And, you know, we got a nice big bottle of Perrier in the refrigerator. So Okay, so I'm going to tell a story. <laughs> I was going to ask you stories about Janice before she gets here. But I actually have a funny story when we were in Italy. Yeah. I love that winery that's up on the hill. If you remember down in the valley and you go up that little hill and there's that family. Oh, yeah. Where we went to that evening where we had the big dinner that night. Outside. Where we sat outside. So I went there because they make a rosé wine there. They make a red. They make the white. They make it all. But they have a rosé that I really like. She said, I'll go with you. So Janice and I got in the car and we drove down there. And, you know, usually there's nobody there. It's like a little family-run operation. And yet today there was lots of people in there. And Janice, of course, you know, she has no patience for anything. So all these people are like, Pronto. oh, I think I'd like to try the white. And she, you know, she pushes them aside. And she goes, we want that red. Let's put, box it up. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Right. And the guy was like, as soon as I'm done uh, helping this person, she goes, well, he wants to try it. And she's pointing at me, right? Which I didn't really want to try it, but she knew she was going to have to wait. She, she was like, let's open this bottle. And he said, well, you can't open it because you haven't even bought it yet. She goes, I'll pay for it. Here's the credit card. Now open the bottle. <laughs> And so she forced this guy to sort of stop everything so we could open this bottle. And then he pours me a little bit. She goes, pour him a real glass, this giant glass of wine. She fills it to the top. We go outside so that I could have this glass of wine. And, of course, she's not drinking. She took the tiniest, tiniest sip to see if it was any good. And then she said, oh, this is so beautiful here. She goes, okay, let's go. I said, let's go. You just poured me half one the sip. bottle of wine, this huge bottle of wine that would cost a fortune. And now you like you want me just to throw it out or something? So she was like, well, just drink it fast. Hurry. Yeah, it was like, hurry, hurry, hurry. It was hysterical because she just was like, I don't care how long these people have been waiting. I'm paying you to open this bottle now. Well, you have to understand when you have a friendship uh, with someone as long as we have, there's stories that they go in categories. There's G-rated. There's PG-rated. There's R. And then there's X. Right. But she starts with R and goes up from there. Goes up? Well, goes up towards the larger X. letters to the Xs. Yes. Goes backwards. Xs, double Xs, Counter, triple Xs. Counterclockwise. <laughs> yeah, we have a few of those. But listen, you know, the one thing I could always say about her that she was – one of those people, when you wanted to have fun, she was the one you'd 
had fun with and the most fun. I mean, belly laugh fun. And we would be so spontaneous in the fun. It was never a planned thing. And the great other, you know, the flip side of a, of a great friendship is that she was a great listener at, at one time. <laughs> no, I mean, she was so incredibly loyal. She is like that because while she can be bouncy off the walls and completely crazy, there is – she has a foot totally grounded. There's yeah. a piece there that when she sits down with you and asks about you – she you, means it. She means it. And, and she know, wants to hear it. And she, she contributes and she'll ask questions and she'll have a conversation about whatever your problems are. She, she's really there. And, and as we know, there's a lot of people in Hollywood that do not do that. She it's, may forget people's names. And, you know, and that happens. You know, when you're somebody like that, a celebrity, and you're around people, so many people, whether they work for you or you're working with or for or around, and there's hairdressers and makeup and all these people that are in and out of your life, wardrobe people. And it's not always easy to remember their exact name. No, and they're fleeting. They may you be know, there I for mean, five shows and then they're gone. You're, and then 20 years later, you're going to remember their name. Yeah. So, I mean, what's important is that you remember your name. And she still does that. She remembers my name. She remembers her husband and her children's name. And so she's got half the battle won. The other ones have to get over it. You can't be that sensitive. She'll get it. Just a reminder. Oh, no, I'm, I'm Alex, not Alan or not Edna. I'm Edith. You know, whatever, whoever that person is at the moment. And she goes, oh, that's right. I'm so sorry. But she recognizes it. She fixes it. And then she forgets again. But, you know, we all do that. I mean, it's the world we live in. We live in a fast-paced world. People are in, out, they come, they go. Well, so, I'm excited to talk to her because about her modeling career and how she got started. So that'll be a lot of fun. It's a long career, too. Yeah. And a, quite a brilliant one. She paved the way for a lot of people. So, <clears throat> curiously, um, tell me about that book uh, that has to do with modeling. I think that's an interesting thing. I think she's very well well aware of the author, is she not? The book, oh, the book I did? Yeah, the book that you did. Oh, Bruce, Bruce, um, Bruce. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> you mean the names we can't remember? Yeah, those. I remember. talking about not knowing names. I remember. Bruce Hulse. Bruce Hulse. Yeah, no, I speak to him quite often, so what a good guy he is. Yes, he did a book called Sex, Love, and Fashion. We did this, I don't know, a couple of years ago, five years ago. I can't remember. They all sort of meld together. He is also an interesting guy. He was named one of the top 10 male models of all time. And I don't want to give away his age, but he's older than we are for sure. Unbelievably fit and still modeling. I met him, didn't I? Yeah, you met him. He was here at a party. Uh, at a party at your and house. And his wife, yeah. too, who also was a model and incredibly beautiful. Correct. They're really lovely people. Let's have him on the we show. We should have him on. We can talk about his modeling career, which Absolutely. goes on today. He models all the time. And he's also become a photographer. Men seem to have a longer shelf life when it comes to modeling. And acting, too, strangely And acting, enough. they yeah. do. Well, that's because well, we put so much pressure. Somehow. Well, because yeah. we put a lot of pressure on how they look. Yeah. So, And the men's not so much. So the men's careers are a little go a little longer. Yeah, true. They become distinguished. His book is absolutely worth reading if you have any interest in what the modeling business is like for a man. It was called Sex, Love, and Fashion. And he talks about all of those things. He had a lot of affairs with a lot of people that we know. And and it's true. He is such a gentleman, well-educated, such a nice guy. So yeah, it's a good idea. We should have him on. Yeah, let's do. You know, Alan and I dine together quite often, either I'm either at my house or his house. And 
I had done a dinner for us recently, and it was a steak that I prepared. One of your yes, and you love steak, and of course, a I good don't steak. love steak. You but don't I loved love that steak. steak. I, that I don't steak. eat a lot of red meat. It's one of the things I've cut out. I was never a big steak person anyway. But we had that steak at your house, and if you remember, I was like, wow, this is really good. And the one thing, then, of course, I had these steaks that were given to me by, you know, somebody shipped me some frozen steaks, and I didn't know how to fix them because I don't do steak. I mean, I know you can grill them, and, you know, I I know how to fix them, but I don't know how to fix them well. Well, you wanted to frost them first. (laughs) Yes. Oh, you're supposed to defrost them? Yeah, that helps. I threw them in the microwave. How does that work? (laughs) <laughs> no, I didn't. Tell me, though, for us, what is the most important thing to know if you're going to make a steak? All right. Well, it's it's complicated as some people think it is or they're intimidated by, by it. And it's mainly because they don't know how to regulate the temperature or tell the temperature. So there's a little trick that we use. And if you – right in between your thumb and your index finger is that little p- – when you – Make a fist tightly. Like uh, you're going to do all – what is that thing? Yeah, you'll see the, this little <laughs> this little piece of flesh that pops up. Yeah. And you press on that. And if, if you make a light fist, you see it goes all the way down. Right. And that would be rare. And as you make your fist a little tighter, mm. then it goes to medium. Oh. And then you, go, then you make a hard fist and, and then it goes to well, well done. done. So that's how you want to regulate how the – so if you touch the meat while you're cooking it, uh-huh. you know, you push it down like that and you'll be able to regulate to see, okay, if it's this. Now, if you – you know, if you're – if you can't get that right, then get a thermometer. I never fail with a steak simply by getting the pan as hot as, it, as you can get it. Just a touch of – maybe a little touch of olive oil, usually a pan that doesn't stick and then I don't have to put anything down on it. Maybe a light olive oil spray if – Put that right in the pan, and you'll hear that sizzle, that that sear. And you leave that just for three minutes or four minutes until it gets that crust. Turn it back over. Do the other side for the same amount of time. And then, depending on what temperature you like it, I like to finish it out in the oven. And that's it. Do not marinate it before. Wait a minute. Stop. You've now seared it. Now you're putting it in the oven? No, you're going to sear it on the one side, yeah. sear it on the next side. Yeah. And then you can finish it out in the oven if you're trying to get it to a good medium well uh-huh. or something like that. But if, usually about a medium rare because meat still cooks after you've taken it off, off right. the heat. So you don't have to put you it in the oven. You don't have to. It's just a That's matter if you of make preference. It... Okay. Yeah, I mean you don't even have to put it in the pan if you don't want. Cannibals eat it completely raw. Cavemen, that's their favorite way. And that is a diet. You know, what do they call that? The caveman diet. <laughs> they do. Paleo. The paleo. Oh, the paleo. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you can go that route. But, but have uh, you put anything on it before no, you've I seared it? No, I don't. I, I, I do a salt, kosher salt, a uh-huh. little bit of pepper. That's it. That's Sometimes it you I'll maybe it. a light rub of olive oil, extra virgin olive oil. Uh-huh. This way I don't even have to do anything to the pan either. But um, never marinate the steak because then it gets it, – it doesn't just doesn't work. And then you can add your sauce. You, know, you can do a, um, a Bernays sauce if you want or you can just do a truffle butter on the hot steak before you serve it where it melts right in. 
So whatever things like that you do on the side, you do them separately, and then you serve it alongside them. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, because I think why I never ate steak is I always found it a little plain, like, okay, now I'm just eating a bunch of meat, yeah. and I never, there was no flavor, but you you can put sauces and things on it after you've cooked it. Yeah, or you serve it alongside, and you let your guest do it, or you, you right. add it to it, but... I mean, obviously, people put Worcestershire. Yeah, or ketchup. Oh, Lord, help me. You know, things like that. But, you know, everybody's taste is different if that's what you like. The most important thing is having the meat. Cooked uh, properly. Right. And to and to have the flavor of the meat that's perfectly flavored. And that comes from a great crispy sear on the top and then a perfect juicy uh, temperature in the center. So the really, meat. one of the easiest things to cook if you're doing it right because there's no real prep. Yeah, listen, I prefer... For me, it's more intimidating to cook – well, not anymore, but it used to be. And for a lot of people, chicken because you can eat a steak rare. God help you if you have a piece of chicken rare. that's raw, rare, or in between any of that. My problem with chicken is because of what you're saying. I always tend to overcook it because I'm never quite sure if the inside is cooked. And so – Because of, that's why a lot of people don't like the breast of a chicken mm -hmm. because that's the first one to dry out. People tend to overcook it. And then once it dries out, it's like with the turkey. People are afraid to cook a turkey on the holidays right. because they're like, oh, my God, how is it going to be dry? If it's going to be dry, that's a nightmare. Yeah. You know, or parts of the thing, like so the leg, and all of a sudden it's bloody, or like it's a nightmare, you know. But, um, you know, you have to, you got to know your temperatures, you have to know your storage. Those are the most important things. I've always said, I've always told people that ask me about cooking or want to be a cook or a chef or want to learn how to cook, learn the most important things you have to do. Flavor you can figure out. You can always make something taste better, or you can experiment that way. You cannot experiment with storage of food, with temperatures of food, and freshness of food. Never, ever take, and I have a three-day rule. If it's not eaten, I shop for the meal. If it's not eaten the next day or the day after, it's gone. I know. Well, that drives me crazy because you'll fix something, then I'll be rushing back, and you'll go, I threw it out. I threw it out. It's been or two days. Or I gave days. it to somebody else. Or, or that, Andrew you know, but goes I don't. crazy, too. No, Andrew's not a leftover person at all. Yeah, but he goes crazy. He's told well, me he he's goes crazy frugal. when he goes. I'm he not goes frugal. to the refrigerator and that great thing has been thrown in the trash. Well, you know, you had two days to eat it. I'm going to say, I'm, you know, I'm going to turn over an hourglass. It's taken away. Okay, a three day it's still glass. there. A three I was going to have it for lunch tomorrow. Well, you didn't. <laughs> I have stuff anyway. in there that I didn't eat three weeks ago. You have ago stuff in there from 1927. <laughs> it's vintage. I have a vintage chicken. I have a vintage hen. <laughs> well, you enjoy that one. I'll skip that dinner party, thanks. Okay. <laughs> it's vintage. <laughs> so we got another listener question. I don't know what it is. I'm going to let you read it. And this is a good one. He wants to know, and it's directed straight at you. Uh-oh. He says, Alan... What do you read for fun? Oh, I so wish I could read for fun. I have so much to read for work. But you know what I do during the holidays? I read a couple things for fun. I just decided work aside and I'll read some things. And I do love reading my airmail. Do you read that? Do you know what it is? My airmails? Airmail. Airmails. <laughs> Obviously, I do not. You wear your airmails. You yes, don't read do. it. But well, you I, might read it a little I bit because like, you don't like the colors. But <laughs> <laughs> Orange again? Yeah. You know, Graydon Carter, who used to be the publisher, editor-in-chief, I think he was, maybe. I don't remember exactly what it is, of Vanity Fair. When Vanity Fair was at its 
top of the game and everybody wanted to be on the cover of Vanity Fair. Graydon Carter ran things. Then they made some changes and now Graydon Carter runs a online, similar to Vanity Fair in many ways, an online magazine called Airmail. And I love that because it's lots of stories. It's, you know, it's things like Sam Cashner, a great writer for Vanity Fair, and he used to do those detailed stories uh, about, you know, murders and things like that or Hollywood people. And now they're all writing for airmail. So I love those stories because what you get, first of all, it's sent right to you. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to open the magazine. Just open your iPad and there it is. Yeah, there it is. But uh, And the the photos, of course, on an iPad are way better than they ever were in a magazine. Mm -hmm. Even the advertisements look good. What's interesting, we got so used to reading things off a computer or a tablet or, you know, our phone even. When I read something in a magazine or in a paper or a book, sometimes I find myself pinching the page like to make the picture bigger. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Why isn't this thing getting yeah. bigger? <laughs> we, it's, it's weird how it tricks your brain up, Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then over the holiday, you know what I read? I read a lot of political books. Oh, did I you? I read all those I re- I'm from both sides. You know, I, I'm a junkie that way. And uh, you know, I like to read what both sides are saying. As you know, I flip from Fox to to MSNBC all the time, back and forth, because I like to know what the, how they're both lying to us. Well, you mean, <laughs> you're versatile. Yeah, versatile. And, but I read, you know, I read uh, a lot of those, you know, Rage, and I forget, I can't even remember the titles of all those books, but there was a lot of Trump books and things, and I read those, and I like that stuff. Yeah, well, there's definitely a lot of, Every kind of thing you can go through in those books, drama and. Do you remember what your favorite childhood book was, or what did you read when you were young? I mean, like ten years old, young. Do you remember? And I have no clue. <laughs> I really have no clue. But yeah, no. I and especially as a kid, I don't think I. I wasn't. I was a kid that was outside playing. You know, I was you know on my bike or right. or swimming or or doing all those athletic things. I wasn't a book reader. You know, I appreciate it, and I love stories, you know, and I love listening to stories. And that's why I think the audibles are – I become more – Oh, I love it when I'm driving to, to Mammoth. Thing. I've got that five-hour drive, and sometimes I have to do it on my own, yeah. and I pop that book in, and I can listen to half of it on the way up, half, half of it on, on the, the way, way back. back. Yeah, because – and I also realize, too, that, I mean, I will get through maybe a chapter or so if I'm reading at home, and then I'm out – I mean, it puts me to sleep like, like that. Mm-hmm. Reading it, reading but it, yeah, listening but listening to, to it, it. I, is a whole other thing. My imagination is with it, and I'm, I'm seeing it in my mind's eye. But yeah, no, I remember my I, my two favorite childhood books are. Are you ready for this? I mean, I like the Cat in the Hat. I like those oh, silly that's really things like young. that, or see Dick Run or Jane take it. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever those. I don't remember exactly what the story was, but now, I think Hansel favorite, and Gretel, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Mm-hmm. My favorite. I probably read it 20 times. And did you ever hear of The Phantom Tollbooth? No. Have you ever read that book? Nope. Great book, especially if you have children. That is a great book to have children read. And it's about a journey of a kid, and he goes through, you know, the land of cacophony. And and so you it's about sound, and then he goes to another land. An amazing book. So those are the two I recommend for young children. For young children. Well, good. Just in case you're asking. So that's what I read for fun. I'd like to be reading those now instead of the things I am reading. But Okay, listener, did you get that? Make note. Yeah. 
In case you Charlie have Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. And the Phantom Factory. Toll Booth. And the Phantom Toll Booth. I will expect both those publishers to send me a gift. <laughs> what do I get? The cat in the hat? <laughs> You're going to send your cat like in the hat. One. Something with a lot of pictures, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> Cartoon pictures. Yes. Janice is going to be here any moment. In fact, I think Janice is here. <laughs> Drum roll. When we come back, we will sit down with Janice Dickinson. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Well, tonight we have um, Janice Dickinson, one of my closest friends for over 20 years. We have a lot of stuff to talk about, laugh about, remember, reminisce about, and welcome, Janice. I can't wait. I mean, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Joey's friend. I'm also a (laughs) world-class supermodel, woman of the world, big in pop culture, mother, wife, toilet cleaner. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? I would like you to tell listeners a little bit about, because uh, people may know you more recently from certain things, but it's always interesting to go back and figure out where you actually came from and what made you who you are today. Where did that all start? I have a very full life. Well, let me start out. I balance it out with self, family, friendships, work, spirituality, You know, I I came from a family. It was dark in my house. My father was not a nice guy. I have two beautiful sisters and a a mother. My parents are both deceased. I started in the modeling industry as early as age nine, really, uh, from reading magazines in Hollywood, Florida, and wanting uh, wanting to escape in the photograph. Not be a model, but I just wanted to be inside a photograph because I thought it would be better than being inside my household since my dad was a pedophile. So it was like your escape, your fantasy. It was escapism and fantasy and beautiful clothing, beautiful light, beautiful jewelry, beautiful fur coats, beautiful clothes, beautiful shoes, beautiful locations. And the locations, the locations made me who I am today because I lived in Milan for two years. I lived in Paris for two years. I lived in London, England for about nine years. I lived in New York for about 10 years, and I came out to California uh, during the 80s where I met my ex-husband and had uh, a, a, a son with him, and I have a, a daughter with someone else. And my two children have made me who I am today because they taught me how to be uh, correct in living in this world rather than just mambing, pambing, and being a typical Aquarian woman floating down the river on, you know, like a little fairy fairy magic carpet. Did you always consider yourself an ambitious person when it came to your career? There's no one that was more ambitious than I was because if I'm going to do something, I have to be the best, the best at it. Mm-hmm. I'm very competitive. Yeah. And um, the competition levels in modeling were just, you couldn't pick, you can't pick a job with more competitive levels except for track and field from the Olympics. You know, I mean, it, the the amount that it takes to understand what you're going into before you become a model is everything. You have to know the lighting. You have to learn the lighting. You have to know who the photographers are. One has to have a, an incredible knowledge of posing in front of the camera 
because the camera does add 10 pounds. You have to exercise daily on a daily basis to keep those extra unwanted pounds off your body. I was born with where I was real thin, so that also helped to the mystique of being uh, a super thin, tall couture model. So were you one of those girls that at 18 you were out of that house because of your dad? Or was it before you were 18? I was 16 years old when I was out of the house with $14 in my pocket, and I moved to New York City. I started uh, beating the pavement with my portfolio, which had about six bad photographs in, in the book. And I went to all the, all the modeling agencies, and they denied me. I went to advertisers. I went to photographers. They denied me because my look wasn't uh, Miss Apple Pie, rosy cheeks, blonde, blue eyes, like Cheryl Teagues and Christy Brinkley. That's who was gracing the covers at that time, was it? That is correct. Lauren Hutton and Renee Rousseau and, uh, you know, fairer, fairer looking woman. So uh, it wasn't until I went to Paris and came back with a portfolio uh like a telephone book that I went to every country and I posed and posed and worked for all the Vogues and the L's and the Cosmos and the bazaars and every fashion magazine available that I had uh, tons of advertising, tons of editorial, and I did tons of runway modeling. So that's before that was before people really knew know me as they do today, because what made me famous was from being a supermodel I coined the term back in 1982. Explain that. Explain that that term because I think people don't really understand it, what it really meant to be a supermodel. I was working night and day. Uh, my my French agent, Monique Pollard, said, "Who you are going to get sick. You are working so hard. She was French. So that was a bad accent. <laughs> and I said, right. well, she says, who do you think you are? And I said, I'm super, I'm Superman. No, I'm supermodel. So, so henceforward, you shall refer to me as supermodel. And that's when it, it oh, that's, that's when the super, that's when the, the 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 term was coined. So the reason I asked about the supermodel thing, not only for the coining the phrase, but it was also doing runway, doing editorial. So you were able to do all of those things rather than just some people just do one part of modeling. I became a photographer mm-hmm. by, by asking questions to all the photographers. I began collecting cameras, Leicas and Hasselblads and Nikons, and I learned how to use shoot with all formats of camera. I began the first selfies, actually, by taking photographs of myself with, with a sync cord that I could hold, plug into the camera and release and just take pictures of myself modeling uh, clothes, which made several editions of uh, Vogue magazine when I was taking pictures of myself as a photographer and as a model. Wow. So that was kind of crazy days. Yeah. Then I became a writer because uh, I needed to pay the rent because I had two children, single mom. And that, that those were fabulous days because some days I didn't know when a paycheck was coming in because I was in my 30s and it was a little too old to be still modeling at a rapid rate, which I had done for several years. Right. Night and day. Without pause. But I still worked when I was pregnant and I still did Virginia Slims and Coca-Cola commercials. And I, I just worked in front of the camera for several years. Mm-hmm. I've heard great stories. How long have you two been friends? 20 years. Maybe, maybe plus, longer. Maybe a little longer. longer. Yeah. But we cop for the 20 for sure. We'll stay 20 because we want to remain young forever. <laughs> and then I met you through Joey. That and, was but fantastic. some fun times and some funny stuff. But you guys have In some really funny, places. funny stories. Yes, you came to Italy with us. Alan has a remarkable <laughs> villa in Sirolo that it, it was just unbelievable. And I watched Alan learn 
garden. I learned gardening from Alan, who watered like obsessively. Well, that's, a, that's a love for you is watering. Yeah, I love to water. It's it was relaxing. great to have somebody else there. It was like you could just hand the hose off and here, water that lawn. And she I never green, green, about green. It. No, until my husband <laughs> cut me off. Now I have absolutely no interest in watering. Not really. And he cut oh, me off. Remember the he cut me off. The water bill. He cut me yeah. off. I was even watering in the rainstorm. <laughs> <laughs> it is relaxing, though. But we were suffering with that drought a few years ago. I watered then. I right? <laughs> never stopped. <laughs> Maybe that's what caused it. That's what I was going to say. Maybe. <laughs> Between the tickets and the bills. <laughs> that is correct. No, but it's just it, enough, about, enough about that. That was an era and decades and decades of work, 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 night and day, night and day, driving the kids to school, making sure their homework was done, raising two children, making sure that they were raised in a non-homophobic world thanks to Joey, you know, who is my best friend and who was their gay uncle. Uh, you know, still jo- Joey, still and still ongoing. My children worship Joey. And um, Joey always came to my house and cooked meals when I when I had to work late. And I would stare at Joey a lot of times when we were out because I, Joey was my reprieve, which is why we were friends. Because Joey and I loved to go out together, and we loved to travel together. We went to Australia, New York. We went London. to London. All, all around the world, we traveled on private planes, and it was fantastic. But the world is not over. I'm still doing it as a wife and, and now as a grandmother. I'm raising this three-year-old little Fritz Who's is a boy and he's very. I can't very, believe how much he's talking. Though. He's that very precocious and he's cursing in school and he doesn't pick that up from me. <laughs> no, he doesn't pick it up from Rocky, her husband. No, right. we don't swear around no, the child, but the mother all. does. Oh, um, so well. Interestingly enough, a few podcasts ago, we talked about kids in Hollywood, right? And I think, in fairness. People may say, she's a little crazy about you, right? Yeah. And her kids must be a disaster. But you have two unbelievable children. And your son is producing hot TV shows. And movies. One of which I can't stop watching. And Uh, Which one? It's called The Carbonara Effect. It's a fantastic magic show. It's great. I love yeah, it. Yeah, I love that show it's too. It's my, you know, it's one of my little guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. When late at night, That's you can really turn nice there you. and it's and it's you really can watch show. it. And every, it's a fun show. Every once in a while, I hear a, a Janice phrase in in the show, in the that, show. He, that he's picked up, and I'll go. I said that. <laughs> yeah, no, here. and you know, the, he's working and he's selling a lot of shows, and yeah. he's become a but, you know, quite a producer. You know, for those of you out there listening that haven't had such a colorful as career as mine has been in front of the camera. I still have projects around the house that I that I love. Not as good as Joey and his remodeling. He he remodels the house at, uh, every, every six months, every, every six weeks. Every time he sneezes, <laughs> you come back and, uh, through lavish dinner parties, which is where I met Alan. Uh, you know, there's just so much on the social calendar, which was going out every night pre-COVID days. Yeah, but you did get your vaccine, and you feel good about that. It I, gives you a sense of hope. Wait right? a minute. I got my vaccine, and I didn't really feel good about it. Spirit, <laughs> spiritually, I felt good about it, but it, it, my right arm, I, could, I still can't use, and I, it, it has left me with a malaise that is, I'm finding hard to function. I'm, I'm not functioning very well at, at super cleaning the house and su- you know souping, super grocery shopping and super picking up the laundry from the dry cleaning and no there's just always so much to do in a house sure wow. i admire always. housewives the the best and mothers who who have to take care of families they're the true they're the true super women um that just says a lot about who you are you've managed to well you have energy 
show up for everything. But but I love, you know, I love a lot of things about life, like sex. You know, I love, I, I grew up loving reading like these uh, tawdry sexual novels as a teenager. And it's, it never stopped when I got into the modeling, modeling world. I was like, oh, my God, these male models are so hot. I can't, keep, I can't think straight. <laughs> you know, and then I started hanging out with Joey. We went to gay bars every night. And the most beautiful men in the world, which I couldn't understand why they didn't like me. Well, because they were gay. <laughs> they loved you. But they loved you. They, they just didn't want to have sex with you. <laughs> well, I've had sex with a couple of gay guys. That didn't stop them. <laughs> More than a couple. Uh, <laughs> let's hear about one of those. One morning when I woke up, this one gay guy was on his hands and knees scrubbing the floors. And I was like, what are you doing? It's not even 7 a.m. He's like, I'm, I'm gay. I'm gay. I don't know what I did with you last night. I said, well, you sure enjoyed it. <laughs> I was going to say you should have kept that one. He scrubbed the floor. <laughs> I know. He was a keeper. <laughs> Joey collects people. Joey has millions of people that he's collected, I have to say. He does collect I people. I polish them. He polishes and make them better people from just knowing Joey. Well, and, and if, Alan and if does he can't too. polish the rough out, he discards them. Then <laughs> <laughs> there's a few. I've never understood how Joey and Alan have became friends for so long because they argue like well, husband and wife. We, well, we don't really care, argue. Really. Only certain times when we just yeah, but it's only lasts about a minute. Listen, we're both very strong personalities. We're both alpha males, so you know we're going to butt heads. You know, and we just get over it. As quick as we hit, we we draw back and we're good. But usually it's not us that ticks each other off. It's, it's somebody a third else. party or starts if a, something. Or if there's some a shit third boring person, they two go gang up against the other poor guy. And the other poor guy's left, you know, sitting out by the pool putting Headless. on zinc, yeah. zinc oxide on his nose going, you know, where'd my head go? It's in the swimming pool. What, should, what did they say about me? I said, they didn't say anything about you. I'll tell you, the times that Janice and I have an, had an argument were usually uh, in the car. Oh, because my, for sure. She, she has a great sense of direction, and I swear that I do. But in reality, I don't. But I am not going to admit but that you I have don't. Such an obnoxious turn right, way, turn right. You have such an obnoxious way of like uh, uh, making me f- believe that you know where you're going. And I'm like— At the time you drove into the ocean when I told you to turn left and you kept saying, no, it's right. That's not the way, I, that's not the way to the village. <laughs> of the damned. We used to stay out all night long and go to those fabulous parties in, in Southampton and East Hampton on Long Island and just party till the, till dawn. And we'd wake up, we'd wake up at dawn, going, "What? What did we just do?" But where were we? Remember, we we woke up somewhere. We didn't even know where we were. We, had we to go didn't back wake to our up. We didn't Quogue. even sleep. We oh yeah, didn't we didn't sleep. sleep. What are you talking about? Sniff, sniff, ha ha. <laughs> we had to drive back to Quogue, and then this. I, I remember we were driving back. We were kind of in quiet a field because, because there was it, mist and there were deer. Yeah, and it was so beautiful that sunrise, and we were just taken by it. But we didn't know where we were going. No, but that's when Jerry would start. No, you turn right here, and I'd go. No, we don't. You were right. You oh, were my right. God. This is a miracle. He's meeting it. I, I will it. agree with you, Janice. He has a terrible sense of direction. Terrible. Terrible. But I swear Well, he's I gotten to where he is this far in life with, with doing this fabulous podcast, Two Guys in, from Hollywood. Well, thank God for GPS. Yeah. Th- you know, that would have <laughs> saved a lot of relationships. I'll say. <laughs> What's amazing about Joey and Alan is that they both have microcosms in different worlds. Alan's a fabulous agent which he won't gossip about his clients to me either. And he's also a book publisher, so he's uh, 
upon entering Alan's villa here in in uh, West Hollywood, he's got a, a mini mansion, and you go up the stairs because it's uh, the house uh, sits atop a hill, which Alan built the house. You know, this is a house that Alan built, and you see uh-huh. this monstrous wall with all these books that he's published. Amazing! It's like book soup or like Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Yes, it is like a piece impressive. of art, isn't it? It, it, it is really beautiful. Is. It's it my a, favorite part of the house. It's a beautiful wall that you've and it done. goes. How, how tall are the ceilings? Where, where the bookshelves well, are? Well, it's about three. It'd be about three regular stories high. And yeah. and this house is rich in fabric and tapestries and and art on the walls. And it's you know he's got wonderful friends that come over for dinner parties. Of course, I just like to sit in one part, one area on the couch and just not get up. With and, the furry blanket. And get under the blanket and watch Academy Award parties. <laughs> <laughs> My drink's getting low. So we'll be right back. See, that's, what, that's why you're amazing because you've got your, your fingers in so many pots. Well, I'm interested. Well, that's know? it. It's curiosity. And it's curiosity. wanting to, you know, yeah. and everyone knows your time is limited. Now, both men have incredible senses of uh, attention for detail in their homes. I should be shot. I have absolutely no interior decorating skills whatsoever. But you can decorate a closet really well. You're oh, yeah. Shop, 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 shop till you drop, drop, drop. <laughs> shoes. Those shoes, I can't All even color fit cool. in there I was going to say, you should have a wall of shoes like I have a wall of books. <laughs> yeah. As we age, like one foot is like two inches longer than the other one. You know, what's up with that concept? I don't know. One leg is longer than the other leg. I don't know. I had a bunion neck to me at a very young age. So now, wait a minute. Do you have to ask them to bring you out an eight and a ten kind of thing? Kind of. <laughs> I don't understand that. The, the whole, first of all, the whole thing, aging is a terrible concept. So whoever this almighty is, whoever created created this life that we all so blessed to be right. living, but the concept sucks. You know, it should be you turn 35. I put shrouds over my mirror. you stay there. You stay at 35 for 300 years. You know what I mean? And then, but you keep learning. You don't age anymore, but your mind and your all those things keep growing. And then, and then suddenly you, you have two off, weeks and, and it's over. And you re- no, and then you rearrange the stars, you know, for for eternity. <laughs> but it's turning. But you know, all of a sudden you're turning fifty, sixty, and you have to do everything you can to catch up, backpedal to try and <laughs> be look a certain age, right. and then you wind up dead. I mean, it's a lousy concept. <laughs> But well, not only that, it gets better as you get older. People always don't even understand. I'm like, life gets better and better. But, you know, you get a little crick here and a little pain there. I mean, we know other people that are in their 80s and they're going and they're flying and, and they're they have limber all and... over the world. Oh, look and at they... Jane Fonda. Yeah, Jane Fonda. 83, I think her. she is. Or and she looks amazing. These women, I mean, and look at Sophia Loren. Did My, you see the, her latest movie? I Brilliant. did. The Carlo Ponti shot. Her son directed. Amazing. Yeah. I have not seen it. Oh, you oh, can't. So you good. can't take your eyes off her in every single scene. She's deliberate. And Joey was Joey was saying this morning there was like two minutes when she didn't speak. She's got the onslaught of dementia setting in, and she, the character. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's how you know a movie star, and we don't see them often. Well, your father was one. But, you know, that that seeing a movie star, that's what made them a movie star because you could not take yourself away from looking at them, even if when they were 20 and now that they're 80. They capture that moment, and that's what really makes it. I once asked your dad, uh, Joe Sr., uh, about what it took to be to raise this family. He says, there's no room for pity. No, he hated that. And he didn't like um, – he thought it was uh, – Sentiment, not sentimentality, but um, that's another word I'm looking he for. He was when, an acting coach as well. Yeah, he was a brilliant teacher. He really was as well. 
I mean, aside from doing 130 films acting in and directing. And very beloved in his field. Yeah, he's worked with everybody. But uh, he taught me a lot. I even, he even wrote me a play for my birthday, and I starred in it. It was called The Sunset Normandy. I remember that. And it was a funny story because, uh, you know, he directed it as well. And so it was intimidating being his son. And then, you know— Was he hard on you? I don't think he was any harder on me than anybody else, but I took it as such. Yeah. Because you, there's that intimidation right. factor there. But I do remember going to the rehearsals. And his he always believed, because he wrote it as well, and he always, he would always say— uh, to be eternally rewritten. So every time I'd, I'd learn all of my lines, I'd have it all set, I'd get onto the rehearsal, and I'd get 10 new pages. I rewrote some stuff, and, and I'm like, but I just learned. So I would fight like that. So the one thing, there was another actor that was cast in another role, a lesser role, that was, I kind of liked the part, you know, and I, so I would say to him, listen, do you think you can talk to my father and maybe convince him that you would be right for my part? And then I'll do your part. And then you wouldn't have to memorize as many lines. And I wouldn't have to work as hard. (laughs) That didn't fly. So this play was performed because you were rehearsing and your dad was directing. Was it for something specific? Did it go to a playhouse? What what happened to it? Yeah, we uh, we rehearsed for about four weeks and then the play ran for eight weeks. Oh. And I actually got quite a very nice review. In the L.A. Times. I love that. So for your birthday, he actually wrote it, directed it, and then you actually went out and performed it in a theater. Yeah, it was a birthday gift because I had been studying acting at the Beverly Hills Playhouse. And ah. I'd been working really hard at that. And he wanted to give me a gift to show how much he um, was proud of my um, commitment. To right, something to use your craft. skills on. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Mm-hmm. Do you remember where you performed it? Behind the St. Ambrose Church was a 99-seat theater called the St. Ambrose Theater. Oh, at Fountain in Fairfax. Below, on the opposite side of the street, slightly below, about right, half a block right, 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 right. south of Fountain. Yeah. Okay. But what was amazing about watching his father, Joe Sr., watch Joey when he'd get on stage, because Joey was is multifaceted. He has an amazing voice, and he, he, he can sing cabaret and make you just swoon and tear up. And he, he was doing, he was on stage somewhere in here in Hollywood uh, for a... At the Sofitel, I think. At the Sofitel for a big audience. And like, I look over and Joe Sr.'s got his fingers in his mouth and he's, tears are streaming down his face with pride. I mean, he was yeah, he a was very a compassionate yeah, man. He was that way. But, you know, I think it's like anything with passion and with things, whether it's in the arts or whether it's with, with work or what you love. And, you or know, food. Yeah, and I, I think it's all hand in hand. I mean, that's a way to, f- we feed our souls, you know. So that's just another part of it. Plus, I'm Italian. So, I mean, that, that comes with the territory food. And, and Cuban. And half Cuban, yeah, and half Italian. So all of those things, you know, you have that upbringing where everything is enriched with music and song and and passion. And, you know, you fight, you love. Two you guys from Hollywood. Stuff, you know, <laughs> and that's who we are as people. You know, and that's hopefully what we're bringing to this show a little bit of. And and you enrich it with us by being such a good friend and sharing your story and the things that you've been through and your passions. Only Joey and Alan could drag me out of the house during these during COVID the pandemic. days. <laughs> Only Joey and Alan. And, and, but we're and tested. in the studio with us, no less. Yeah. I know. It's amazing. And you're our first studio guest, And I'm very grateful it's... to have been here. And it's been a fun time sitting with you two guys. Well, back at you. I love you. Call me anytime. I'm always up for a good time. She's a blast. We'll have her back, maybe. For sure. For sure. There's so much to cover with her. 
and a lot of fun stories that we haven't even gotten near. We got the PGR a little bit, but we'll get to the go a little further down. Yeah, but we want to thank everyone who's reviewed our podcast so far. We'd love to see them, and if you haven't, please do. We need you to rate it, review it, subscribe, but especially, please, if you're enjoying it, get your friends to join on as well. And please don't forget to follow us on social media. We'll be posting recipes, photos, and links from each episode for you. We'll also find some great photos to post of us with Janice over the years that I know you're going to love. And then you can send any questions to contact at twoguysfromhollywood.com or send us a message on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and we'll talk at you soon. Two Guys from Hollywood is hosted, created, and produced by Alan Nevins and Joey Santos. Produced by Lauren Boone. Editing and post-production by Nathan Moody. Music by Luca. Executive produced by Dan Patrick. It is also executive produced by Paul Anderson and Nick Panella for Workhouse Media. This podcast is a production of Renaissance Literary and Talent and Dan Patrick Productions in association with Workhouse Media. Two Guys from Hollywood is a production of iHeartRadio and the Dan Patrick Podcast Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.